isn't it? Celebrate our great God. And, and for you big students, you guys are awesome. Um, if you haven't had a chance, uh, if you weren't here Wednesday night, you're going to want to go on the website. You're going to want to hear what it's like when our kids study God's Word and when they look for applications. And so you guys were great. And so we're proud of you and we celebrate God for you and with you. Um, we also get to celebrate God later, about 11, 11.15 or so, probably 11.30-ish, at the high school pool, because we have some people who said they want to follow Christ in baptism. And so you're all invited, and uh, hopefully you'll come celebrate for a short time of just a couple rich baptisms and get to hear their story. And so that'll be in a swimming pool at the high school. Uh, if we would have known last night, we would have done it right out in the field, um, but... But uh, so we're going to celebrate some more today, and so we hope that you'll take the time to just swing by the high school as we celebrate some baptisms as well. We began a couple of weeks ago a short series on this most significant place on earth, the home. We've talked about a lot of different things, about how we relate to each other, God's design for the family, and specifically this morning we're going to zero in on outside of Christ, what's the most significant relationship in the home That's husband and wife. And so we want to look at that, and this text addresses that, and then we'll talk about it. 1 Peter chapter 3 starts this way, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what's right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands likewise... Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may be not hindered. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing." Let's pray. Our Father, I recognize this morning when we come to this topic of marriage, it's very personal. I may be met this morning with a lot of emotion. I recognize in our world and our sinfulness and the complexities of life There are some marriages right now on the brink in this room. Husband and wife fighting to keep afloat, wondering whether it's worth it. I also recognize, God, that there's others who are committed but just can't seem to connect. There's strain, maybe hurt. I pray for them as well, God. Maybe those in the seasons of their marriage are experiencing a richness they've never known. I pray for them they truly celebrate. God, for those who are single in this room, 
who may right now be tempted to check out because after all, this is for married couples. Might they too see something? Something that they can now commit to at a young age. So Lord, no matter where we're at, please speak to our hearts. Help us to hear your heartbeat. To see in your word what we need. So that in all things you'd be praised. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you've ever had a camera and uh, you try to take pictures, and if you're like me, you have a hard time getting a clear one. They're, all, they're always out of focus. I don't know how I do it. It must be a gift. But I can't seem to take a clear picture. And it's frustrating. Um, because a camera is meant to take clear pictures, and if it's out of focus, it's kind of frustrating. Well, marriage is kind of that way. When it's out of focus, it can be frustrating. But when there's a clear picture, things become clear. Things become filled with hope. We begin to rejoice. God's Word is like that camera which brings clarity to what marriage is to be like. And whether it's this passage in 1 Peter 3 or Ephesians 5 or other chapters and verses, God gives a pattern of marriage. He doesn't consult the culture. He doesn't call the experts. Doesn't ask Dr. Phil. Doesn't care about political agendas. Instead, his pattern is right. His pattern, when carried out and lived, his design brings harmony into the home. And don't our homes need harmony? Don't our culture need harmony? A harmony which points to Christ. And this design is crucial to the home. The design of a husband and a wife. And God has spoken, and this is no small subject. First of all, he begins in this text, words to wives. In in verse 1 and 2, he talks about behavior. Now, first of all, let's hit this right away. Some of you read this word submissive twice and you're just cringing. Be honest. You hate the word. Because our culture so distorted it. And so warped it. Matter of fact, there's a lot of times I've met with couples in premarital counseling and the woman said, I didn't know that's what it meant. Because there's a cultural voice crying out saying this is a bad thing. And God says, no, it's part of my design because submissive simply means coming alongside a husband's loving leadership. Not lagging behind, not getting ahead, but lovingly coming alongside. That's submission. That's what it is. That's what God says it is, not what the culture says it is. And it's this whole issue of behavior. Because the very nature of submission is the freedom of our will, not the squelching of it. And God says when wives' purity and respectful behavior is on display, it's as one man says, the silent preaching of a lovely life. A godly wife says, Lord, how can I show my love to you in the role that you've called me to fulfill? God says, my dear child, show it in your submissive heart to your husband. Submission, again, is not being a doormat. It's not losing your identity. It's about responding to Christ and His design. It's an act of worship. Now, some women at this point would say, you know, if I had the right kind of husband, well, then maybe I'd submit. You don't know who I'm married to, Matt. You don't know what I have to go through. If I had the right kind of husband, then I would be all right. You know what the problem is? This text is written to those who have the wrong kind of husband. Look at it. 
so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, that'd be the husband, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives. So forget that excuse. God says even if you have the wrong kind of husband, you need in your behavior to model and reflect me. Notice that they've been won without a word. Without a word. No complaining, no manipulation, no arguing or nagging. One without a word. Why? Because their behavior is on display. And verse 2 is interesting. It says, as they observe. In other words, the word observe means a careful searching look. And don't mistake it. Your husband carefully searches and watches. And is drawn to your behavior. Is encouraged by it. Affirmed by it. And while your talk can be tuned out, ladies, your behavior can't be ignored. It's part of God's design. Is your behavior reflects Him. Verse 3 and 4 also talk about attitude. It's this picture of unusual beauty. It's not shallow. It's not cheap. Our culture spends billions and billions of dollars so women can look beautiful. A lot of it. There's nothing wrong with that. If you look at the word, it says merely. In other words, there's times that it's okay to, to want to look good on the outside. Uh, the author's not point, ripping that down. But what he's saying is, what's your priority? What are you spending on looking physical adornment? What are you ex- exerting and what are you spending on your inward beauty? That's the, that's the real question. How much time do you spend on becoming inward Beautiful. Being the the spirit God wants you to have. What characteristic and attitude does God consider important? The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. That's what God thinks is important. Now, gentle and quiet doesn't mean mousy. Doesn't mean hiding in the corner. Doesn't mean never saying anything. Doesn't mean doormat. Doesn't mean weak. No matter what the culture says. What this speaks of is the strength of character. Strength, being self-controlled, a person of elegance and dignity who doesn't need to shout it out, but silence that way. I love the way Proverbs 31.25 describes a godly woman. It says, strength and dignity are her clothing. Isn't that a cool thought? I mean, she gets dressed up in strength and dignity. You could say she gets dressed up in Jesus. That's a a woman with the right attitude, with a godly attitude. And this type of person, we're told, verse 4, is precious in the sight of God. This is a very significant word. It's used two other times. 1 Peter 1.7, where Peter talks about precious faith. And then in 1 Peter 1.19, the precious blood of the Lamb. This word isn't used carelessly or flippantly. Ladies, your behavior, your attitude, when they reflect an impair, well, quiet and gentle spirit, that's precious in God's sight. It's pleasing to Him. It's honoring to Him. He values that. And He affirms that. Now God's not being, or boxing women in in this passage. God's greatly pleased when you allow the Holy Spirit to change your attitude. And attitude's the key here. An abrasive, a negative, a separatist attitude will damage your marriage relationship. No blaming others. God says, look at your attitude, ladies. You need to evaluate it. 
Now, some of you are starting to grab your purses. They're ready to leave. Don't, okay? Bear with me here. Verses 5 through 6, another word to wives. It's about responsive, being responsive. For in this way, they used to adorn themselves. They were responsive to the needs of their husbands. If you are the energetic type who likes to rush all over the place, responding to everyone's needs, if you're not careful, you'll use all your energy and time and leave nothing for the most important person in your life, your husband. Isn't it sad sometimes we often take for granted our spouses? Because after all, they'll understand, we think. And and to a certain degree they do. And they, they often give us, cut us the most slack for sure. But we're also called to be responsive and to make them a priority. You see, God will honor your loving and supportive responses. Out of fear, some will say, listen, if I start being responsive, I'm going to get walked all over. It's almost like God knew that we would say that because at the end of verse 6, without being frightened by any fear. If you're fearful about being walked over, understand when God's design is carried out, you have no fear. He'll bless it. He'll honor your efforts. So don't be afraid things will get out of control if you're not in control. Some of you sometimes just need to let go. Let God take control of your marriage and your spouse. I believe tucked in these verses, a question wives must face is, do I love my husband enough to respond to him? It's a question, ladies, only you can answer. Sarah's brought in the picture, and her children, in other words, Sarah's a prototype. Some of you right now read this might say, whoa, that's archaic. She obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. Some of you say, hey, no way in the world. I'm calling my spouse, Lord, ain't going to happen. It, it, it was a term of respect in that case. It was a respectful approach to a husband. It's the same of coming alongside that loving leadership, respecting it. That's what he's talking about. And that, Sarah, becomes our prototype, a model, an example. Now, Titus kind of almost zooms in a little, bit, a little bit more and says older women, and by older he means those whose children have left the home, you be an example You teach the younger women, and here's specifically what Titus says. You ready? Here's what you're to teach your daughters. Here's what you're to teach younger women in the church. You ready? You're to teach them to love their husbands. Here's where Arbor meets the road. Not just so you'd be happy. This isn't about your happiness. Not about your husband's happiness. Older women teach younger women to love their husbands. Why? Because we often associate love with feeling. Older women know it's not. It's a choice. There's intentional things. So older women, you get to model for our younger women what that looks like. Thank you for doing that. Because unfortunately our younger girls coming up have such a distorted view of what the culture is giving them. We need to give sense, Titus says. Teach them to be sensible. By implication, They can be foolish. (laughs) And so we need to teach sense. There's some substitutions we need to be careful of. We need to watch out, ladies, for cheap substitutes. One is to substitute secret manipulation for a quiet spirit. Women who can't leave things in the hand of God. They need to be careful that secret manipulation isn't substituted for a quiet spirit. 
You see, it's virtually impossible to believe that God can handle your husband sometimes, but he can do it without your help. He's pretty good at that. And so you don't need to resort to manipulative schemes. You don't need to become moody or pouting, meant to get your way. Not sexual bargaining. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says it's never a good idea. You give Satan a foothold. You don't want to do that. In each case, sometimes there's a temptation to try to get your way through manipulative ways. That's a poor substitute for what God has in His design. A second substitute is learning rather than doing. Verse 6 says, if you do. A woman who really wants to be godly gives more attention to the inner person. And to do that requires constant effort. Because husbands are much more stimulated by your inner beauty. I thought of something in regard to both wives and husbands. Do we really need more books? I mean, do we really need more information, more facts? Or don't we simply need to start doing what we know? Books are helpful, great techniques, great ideas, great encouragement, don't get me wrong, but let's, let's do what we know we need to do. Because we'll be blessed then. Wives, you can take a deep breath. Words to husbands, verse 7. You're like, how come we got six and they only get one? Because we can't handle more than one. Okay, that's all we got. That's all we can handle. One verse, but it's loaded. Verse 7 starts out, you husbands likewise. Now, that word likewise is important because we need to back up because if you go likewise, speaking to your wives, but even go further than that, if you go to the end of chapter 2, the author's talking about Christ in his sacrifice. In other words, God takes the role of the husband, the design of the wife, brings it all the way back to the example of Christ, who submitted himself to the Father's plan, even though it meant going to the cross. Based upon that model, wives submit to God's design. Husbands submit to God's design, just as Christ submitted to the will and plan of the Father. Likewise, you husbands, live with your wives. Let's stop there. Live. It's a great word. It means to align oneself with. Literally, to be down at home with. Think of alignment. Think of coming alongside your wife. It's the point where the relationship's a priority. You see the word with. It's a term calling for close companionship. So align yourself with your spouse in a close companionship. That's the whole idea here. A husband, many a husband, unfortunately, looks to the wife to maintain this close, deep, down-togetherness and companionship. Their idea might be, my job's at the office, my job's to be the breadwinner, let, let, let my wife worry about the relationship part of it. And that might be the way you're raised, it ain't God's way. God says, husbands, live with your wives. Become closely aligned in compassion, companionship with her. It's convenient and easy to turn the reins over to our wives in this area, but we must fight the tendency if we want the blessing from the Creator's design. The reality is men tend toward detachment, self-sufficiency, and isolation. But that's the opposite of God's plan for oneness. Husbands, live with your wives. He goes on in verse 7 to say, Husbands, in an understanding way. In other words, really get to know her. Think, what's she going through? Listen, consider her pressures and what she's going through. 
It includes knowing her deep fears and her cares, her disappointments, as well as her expectations. It calls for a sensitive spirit. Because how will you really know how to pray for your wife if you don't know what she's going through? If you don't observe her life? If you don't watch and hear the words of what she's saying? Now you get to these two words in verse 7. Live in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. This isn't a cut, but a calling to husbands. It's being sensitive knowing your wife's limits so you can adapt. It's not reducing a woman or, or cutting her down. It's more a sense of a physical. It's a weaker vessel more often than not physically. If your marriage is eroding, this is the one of the most important issues you can give yourself to. It will do as much to heal the hurts in your marriage as anything I can suggest. Understand her. And seek to understand her. I stood with a man at a gravesite of his wife. He was pretty young about 40, and he said something to me along these lines I'll never forget. He said, Matt, I gave her everything but myself. That's pretty sad. Honest, but sad. I gave her things, but not me. Don't, don't let that happen, husbands. Live in an understanding way. Make it one of your life's goals to know all you can about your wife, her dreams and her struggles. Not a wife who won't respond to that. They long to be understood. Another thing we're told in verse 7, husbands, grant her honor. Grant her honor. When you honor something, you value it. You, you see it as of great value. And you, you handle it differently. If, I had a, if Jay up here had a, this guitar he'd handle it differently than if he found a really cheap one somewhere. He wouldn't handle them the same way. Why? Because one's more valuable. That's the whole idea. Grant your wife honor. After creation, God's first miracle, really, you could say, was bringing woman to man. Your wife has been brought to you by God. This creates a deep sense of awe that there's been, there's been made for you, in a sense, brought to you, this wonderful, wonderful woman. A study Dr. Harley made, which is the basis of a book he wrote, His Needs and Her, New, Her Needs, studied through all kinds of interviews with, with women throughout the United States and throughout different uh, uh, upbringings, all kinds of different variety. He settled on the number one need of women, affection. And by that, women were saying, I want to feel prized. I want to see you feel valued. I want to feel loved and cherished. She wanted to be honored. And it's almost like God knew <laughs> that's what way women, and so he told husbands, honor your wives, because that's her number one need. Grant her honor. Now notice, verse 7 even tells us how we grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, and I think this is beautiful because you see in this granting her honor this mutual equality, she's a fellow heir. This mutual dignity, she's an heir. This mutual humility of grace. This mutual destiny, life. There's a mutuality we are to pursue and in that we honor our wives. You see, grace brings a husband and a wife together 
not two people doing their own thing. Partners enveloped by grace, operating with grace, thinking with grace, releasing because of grace. You could say grace is the oil to your marriage. Grace. Now a note and warning. When we do not seek to understand our wives, when we do not pursue togetherness and honor her, our prayers are hindered. Look at the end of verse 7. I'm, that's not my idea. That's God's. So that your prayers may not be hindered. I don't think it's a stretch to say, husband, some of your wives are not, your prayers are not being answered because you're not honoring your wife. You might be seeking God for this, this, and this, but if you're not honoring your wife, according to this passage, your prayers will be hindered. That takes it to a pretty serious level, doesn't it? Honor your wife. Value her. And prize her. And us too, husbands, we need to watch out for cheap substitutes. The substitute that says, enter provider, exit lover. Just be the provider. Just bring home the paycheck, hand it to her, and that's good enough. You're doing your role. Not according to God. We're not to just be providers, but to be lovers. It's a cheap substitute to fall into that pattern. Another cheap substitute is demand instead of manage. You see, the insecure husband's the one who forces or intimidates. It seems rare as the husband who spends time and thought coming to an understanding of his wife's needs so he can provide wise management of the home. You might be a hot shot in the office, but at home you're to be a humble manager, a humble lover. And I love verse 8 because there are words to both. To sum it up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. It's kind of a good tool to evaluate both of you. Evaluate you personally. If there's no harmony, there's probably a result to substitutes. And note the verse of pulse eight, or the, the pulse of verse eight is to have a climate in your relationship of understanding, giving, caring, and absence of selfishness. Each one seeking to serve the other. Maybe a great question would be, how can I outserve my spouse today? That would be a good competition. How do I outserve them? In verse 9, this is a great one. We'll end on this one. A word for both. Give a blessing. Using our words and our attitudes to build up and to bless, not tear down and belittle. You always do this. You're never here. You make me so mad. Nobody can make you mad. You choose to be mad. But sometimes we say that. In other words, our words often don't bless. They belittle. Or they attack. But the call here to both husband and wife is to bless. And some of you are dying inside because you're not getting encouragement. You're not getting blessing. Celeste Holt was an actress from years ago, and I like what she said because it's true. We live by encouragement and we die without it, slowly, sadly, and angrily. And she's right. You and I are to have words to bless. 
It's high time we quit the cuts, the criticisms. There's no excuses for them. They really sabotage our relationship. There's no validation for not encouraging. Wives, has it been months? Has it been years since you told your husband you appreciate him? Appreciate what he does? Maybe it has, and I can tell. I can tell the faces of husbands that are defeated. The tone in their voice is one of despair. And unfortunately, when this goes on too long, they begin to search for affirmation somewhere else. And unfortunately, we see the result of that. You might say, I've got to be honest with my feelings. Yes, you do. But there's never excuse not to wrap it with blessing and affirmation. Husbands, when's the last time you praised your wife? No strings attached. You just encouraged her. You just blessed her. You honored her. You pray a blessing over her. Do you pray for her? I believe our spouses are a gift from God. And how we handle that precious gift is of great concern to God. Some words of application, both individually and as a, as a couple. Admit the trait you'd like to see God change in your life. That's for everybody, if you're married or not. Admit a trait you'd like to see God change in your life. Maybe go through verse 8. And you see the list there. Declare your, co-op, your cooperation with his unchanging work. Look inside you, not your spouse. Or if you're engaged, not your fiancé. Look inside you. How can your marriage and your life reflect God? Because it's not about your happiness, no matter what the culture says. Our marriages have a much higher calling. They're to reflect Christ. So admit the trait you'd like to see God change in your life. Number two, set at least two goals for your marriage. It's good to have goals. Together, intentionally, ask God to make them a reality. I don't know what those goals would be. You know where you're at in your marriage? Set a couple goals. And three, communicate appreciation to each other. Every day, make it your goal. Every day, let's start small. At least identify one trait or action and express appreciation verbally. Okay, that's that's a good, small, concrete step. Identify one thing, at least one. You feel free to be an overachiever. At least one thing, and just show communicate appreciation. Um, growing up in high school, I know they had just had prom, and uh, in high school I'd go to these dances, and um, I, I found out in high school really quick nobody could dance well. So when I was at dances, I, I almost always wound up dancing with my sister, because we're the only two who could dance, at least in our minds. And, and so we would dance, and uh, it would just be her and I dancing and everyone else trying. And so, dancing. And when you dance with someone who can't dance, it's awkward. Stepping on each other's feet, you're leading, they're going the other way. It's really awkward. Marriage is like dancing, isn't it? It can get awkward. One of us goes one way, the other that way. We step on each other's feet. We bump into each other. Marriage is kind of like that. It can be awkward. It's hard to get our steps in sync. Maybe this morning, that would describe your marriage. It's difficult. You're having a hard time finding a rhythm. Maybe you're facing unmet expectations or you've been hurt. Maybe trust is really difficult to come by right now. The beauty of God's design is when we live it out, 
there's hope. There's healing. You see, God's design intrinsically, because it is his design, when lived out brings great blessing. And there's, I know many couples in here right now are saying amen. You're experiencing a blessing in this season of your marriage because you're living out his design. And I would exhort you to share it and model it for those of us who are struggling through this thing called marriage. And so God has an answer. It's his design. I'd like to close in prayer. And if you have your spouse next to you or fiancé, if you grab their hand or if you're a high school student, Maybe just hold your hand out to the one God's preparing even right now by faith. That would be okay too. And so, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. It certainly clears up a lot of the fog. We thank you for a clear picture of a beautiful design that you have crafted, that you have revealed to us, this design of marriage. Two people, so different oftentimes with a variety of gifts and talents and temperaments and yet God you bring us together and weave in us a tapestry that becomes a picture of you and your love for the church what a high calling marriage is probably far higher than we've ever really thought about Lord I pray for each couple here I pray no matter where they're at in their marriage, you'd lead them back to this design. And Lord, it might be hard. They might have to really take steps of trust here. I pray, God, that they would trust you and trust your design. And they may have to feel like they're going it alone. But Lord, help help them to know that you'll bless that, that you'll reward that, that the other spouse will see that. And they can't ignore you working in a life. So God, do a great work in our homes. Transform our marriages. For your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.